Uh, this town is one of my favorite places in Germany, one of my favorite towns in the world, Eisenach. Um, th this, is, this is the place where the reformer Martin Luther was protected, way up here in the Wartburg, uh, up above the city. Uh, I was first there in 1989, just days after the Berlin Wall fell. And uh, it's an amazing place where Luther was protected. That's where Luther wrote some of his greatest books were written up there in that castle. Around 150 years after Luther, uh, this same town was the home to a brilliant musician named Johann Sebastian Bach. Uh, this, is where, this, this house right here is where Bach composed a, a great deal of his remarkable music. Just, just in case you are unfamiliar with Bach's incredible music, I want to give you just a little sample. Okay, just, just one minute of the Toccata and Fugue in D minor. Uh, this is the BBC Orchestra, and the great Andrew Lytton is conducting, who used to be our conductor at the uh, Dallas Symphony Orchestra. Listen to Bach. This, uh, Bach would have used more organ, but this is still a beautiful, this is Stokowski arrangement, it's a beautiful arrangement. Is that majestic stuff? Wow, give it applause. Bach deserves applause, it's amazing. I read the other day, I read the other day about an unexpected number, it's a fascinating story, about an unexpected number of Japanese citizens who are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Now get this, these people have never met a missionary. Most of them have never even known a Christian in their life, and yet they're coming to faith in Christ. Here's what happened. They're all music lovers who were drawn to the music of Johann Sebastian Bach. He's apparently really big in Japan, like the old band Cheap Trick. Um, uh, and these, um, these music lovers became fascinated with the fact that Bach signed all his work with these three initials. He signed everything he wrote with these initials, S-D-G. Looking it up online, these Japanese seekers discovered S-D-G stands for Soli Deo Gloria. And that phrase became a key in their journey to faith in Jesus. Our study this morning is going to explain why Johann did that. Why did he write SDG? And we're going to figure out why that continues to lead people to a faith relationship in Jesus. Soli Deo Gloria is our topic. Um, it's also the headline in your notes. You got a bulletin when you came in, right? Open it up. Look on the left-hand side of the notes in the middle, and you'll see Soli Deo Gloria. Let's start with what it means. It's Latin for glory to God alone. It's, it's also your first fancy phrase of the day, boys and girls. On the count of three, you get to say, Soli Deo Gloria. One, two, three, Soli Deo Gloria. That was awesome. <laughs> Amen. Now move with me beyond a mere definition. That's what it means. It means glory to God alone. But what does it mean to live Soli Deo Gloria? What, what does it mean to live such that God gets all the glory. D does it mean this? Does it mean that anytime somebody applauds you that, you, that you say, well, I just, I just don't want any glory myself. I want it all to go to God because I just am an instrument in his hands, right? <laughs> please, please don't do that, at least not in that fake manner. Please don't do that. Think, think about it like this, okay? Just look up here. 
Suppose these two children are, are your, oh, I, let me get past the holy woman. Go, these two children are your offspring, okay? Which one is bringing glory to you as a parent, okay? The child who's acting wickedly or the one who's being helpful? Which one brings glory to you as a parent? Which one? The helpful one, right? How, how about this scenario? Which is bringing you glory, parent? The, the kid who is quietly thanking you or the one who is drawing attention to himself? Which one brings you glory? The one who's saying, this isn't rocket science, is it? Right? Let me get one more. Which one brings you glory? The child who uses your gift joyfully or the one who's always bored? Which one? One who uses your gift. By the way, kids ever tell you they're bored? You just tell them only boring people are bored because it's a fact. All right? Yeah. One day our family uh, was driving. We stopped for a bite to eat uh, in a small town. Uh, we were in Yorkshire, England. My kids always traveled really well. In fact, they, tra they got along so much better when we traveled than they ever did back home. It was just fascinating. Um, and this, this one day, they were being just particularly sweet to each other. I mean, they were just being so very thoughtful and funny and kind as we ate this meal. Now, the restaurant we were at in this little town in Yorkshire was full of a bunch of old people from London. Uh, they were on a bus tour from London, a bunch of retired folks that were touring the Yorkshire Dales. And when we finished the meal, the kids and I went outside to go get our car. And, and when, when we went outside, all these old people got up and started coming over to my wife and praising her for her wonderful children. And they were pressing pound notes into her hands, like 20-pound notes. And she was trying to refuse the money, but these people were serious. And one old lady got right in Jenna's face, and she said, Ma'am, those children are an honor to you, and you should be rewarded. And the guy behind her said in a very grumpy old man voice, it's a lot better parenting than we see in Britain these days, I tell you that. <laughs> Which is true. Listen, if you are a believer in Jesus, God is your parent. John's very succinct truth. Read it with me, would you please? First John chapter 3, verse 1, all together, line by line. Let's read it together. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. All God's people said? Amen. Folks, soli deo gloria happens the same way for all children. It happens for you as a child of God the same way it does for an earthly child. Just as a family's kids, we who believe in Jesus are God's children. And we can live in such a way that glorifies our Father God. What do we do? We obey. We love our brethren. We thank God. We, we help. We use His gifts. That brings honor to God. You know what fake humility does? Fake humility just puts a spotlight on us. Two years ago, I was very blessed to discuss all of this with a few of you. We, we sat at the steps of this church, uh, the Grossminster, the great minister in uh, Zurich. Uh, the Grossminster was home to two brilliant Reformation preachers, Ulrich Zwingli and Heinrich Bullinger. I want you to look at a great summary of Scripture that they crafted. It's called the Second Helvetic Confession. Confession just means a statement of faith. Helvetic means Swiss. Okay, so it's a second Swiss statement of faith. It was written by Heinrich Bullinger, but it's actually based on a lot of things that Ulrich Zwingli taught. I, I like this quote so much I put it in your notes. It's from chapter 5 of, of their little confession. It says this, God alone is to be adored and worshipped. We adore and worship the true God alone. This honor we impart to none. According to the commandment of the Lord, Matthew chapter 4, thou shalt adore the Lord thy God, and on him alone, and him alone shalt thou worship, or him alone shalt thou serve. Close quote. That's what soli deo gloria means. We live in such a way that it gives glory only to God. But think, powerful forces don't like this, do they? So let's discuss why SDG is necessary. Why is it necessary? Let's go back to kids. Think about kids. As you know, uh, peer pressure 
often is used to make young people believe a lie that their parents are in the way, right? It, it, it's kind of natural how it happens. Uh, forces, powerful forces in a young person's life, many of them good forces, friends, coaches, girlfriends, boyfriends, they all want to be the sole center of attention for this young person. And so they, they wittingly or unwittingly push a lie that the parents are in the way, right? You've seen this in action. You've lived it. In a similar fashion, there are forces in the life of every adult Christian that call for worship. And you know what? God gets in the way of all those forces. Rulers, your own pride, bosses, careers, political expediency, all these things can draw away the honor that belongs only to the triune God. If I give glory to God alone, you know what it means? It means that while I grant honor to whomever honor is due on this earth, I never forget that the triune God alone is the only one worthy of praise and glory. Some of you recently read Leviticus as part of our 90-day challenge uh, to read the Bible. Some of you are still reading Leviticus. Um, <laughs> Leviticus is all about this. Leviticus is greatly concerned with soli deo gloria. That's what the book's all about. It's, it's in Leviticus that we keep running into this clause. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh your God. Uh, open your Bible to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus, third book of your Old Testament. Go to chapter 19. By the way, chapter 19, the clause, I am Yahweh your God, appears 15 times in only 37 verses. I'd say it's probably the theme of this chapter, right? All right, let's go to verses uh, 1 and 2. 1 and 2. Because Yahweh is the Lord, his people should act in certain ways. It's part and parcel of giving him and only him glory. We act in certain ways. Leviticus 19, 1 and 2. The Lord spoke to Moses. Speak to the entire Israelite community and tell them, be holy, because I, Yahweh your God, am holy. Stop there. Now, in the context, you read the rest of Leviticus 19, you're going to see this is not just for religious uh, ceremonies. God is saying his people should reflect his character all the time. Uh, look at the everyday nature of the very next verse, uh, verse 3. Um, oh, sorry, I skipped ahead. Uh, why did Bach write SDG to say what? What was it? Soli Deo Gloria. Do you know what he wrote that on? Do you think it was only his church music or all his music? Every single thing, because God is holy all the time. Look at the everyday nature of the next verse, verse 3. Sorry about that. Verse 3. Each of you is to respect his mother and father. You're to keep my Sabbaths. I am Yahweh, your God. Most basic relationship in your life is with your earthly parents. And in that relationship, we show respect. In the very rhythm of our lives, of our weekly living, we honor God's command to rest. Why? What reason does God give? Because he's God. It brings glory to him when we live in light of his Godhood. It brings glory to him when we have healthy relationships, when we have healthy lifestyle rhythms. God and Moses understood humanity. They gave us Leviticus 19 because you, you and I need continual reminding of just what we're supposed to be about. We forget all the time what we're supposed to be about. We're supposed to be about giving glory to God. All God's people said? They also knew that idols lie in wait for us all the time. Look at the next verse, verse 4, very next verse. Do not turn to idols or make cast images of gods for yourselves. I am Yahweh, your God. Why is SDG necessary? Because you and I, friends, we make idols. We do it all the time. We make idols out of almost anything. It's, it's amazingly widespread in our lives. It's incredibly bad for us, and it's terribly inappropriate. That's why Bullinger built this passage into his second Helvetic confession. Take a look. Um, he said this. Uh, Bullinger said, The saints are not to be adored, worshipped, or invoked. Therefore, 
We do neither adore, worship, nor pray to the saints in heaven, nor to other gods, neither do we acknowledge them for our intercessors and mediators before the Father in heaven. As Peter has said, and he quotes Acts 4, there is no other name given unto men whereby we must be saved but the name of Christ. Close quote. We need regular reminders of soli deo gloria because you and I inevitably lean toward making up other intercessors other than Jesus. You, 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 know, you know what we do? We begin, we begin to think and then live as if, as if we ourselves or some other agent can make this life work or make the life forever work, something more than just Jesus. But such idols don't work. They don't. And they always take us away from the triune God. That's why Romans chapter 12 gives us a regular practice. Romans 12 gives us a regular practice of reformation. Read it with me. Romans 12, 1 and 2, you take the underlined text. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Be renewed. Set your mind on things above. Present your body and soul as a living sacrifice daily by God's mercy and for His glory. That's why we need soli deo gloria. What, what difference does all this make? Hey, look at the question on the right side of our notes. What changes when we understand and practice SDG? Three things that I see. Number one, when we live out soli deo gloria, people come to faith in Jesus. They do. Remember those music fans in Japan? Guys, the Bach music revival there is very widespread, and it has led hundreds of people to investigate this whole SDG thing, and that led them straight to the Bible. Many of them are fans of the Brandenburg Concertos written by Bach, and as they've researched them, they've gone back and realized those were originally based on a number of passages in the New Testament. So they've gone and read those passages. You know who they meet there? Jesus. And they come to faith in Jesus alone. Soli Deo Gloria draws people to faith in Christ. Second thing that occurs when we practice glory to God alone, idolatry is checked. Even the heaviest idolatry of all, the idolatry of self. One of the most exalting moments of my life came in London about a decade ago when I received my doctoral robes. The day before graduation, I, uh, I had gone to Westminster Abbey. I went there to meet with a bunch of officials in the Church of England who were very kind and who were very significant in my research, and I wanted to thank them. And after I met with those officials, I went out and I sat in the dean's yard at Westminster Abbey, and I found a place in a corner, and I sat there and I took out a book, a very old book, and I read something that was written on that exact spot 450 years before. Here's, here's what I read. It's from a thing called the Westminster Confession of Faith, and it says this, God, the great creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least, by his most wise and holy providence, according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will, to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy, close quote. And with those majestic words ringing in my head, I thought a little differently about the applause and my coming graduation. Please don't misunderstand. The, the Westminster divines aren't suggesting that the applause of family or the, the praise from professors is evil. I, I knew that it would be appropriate the next day for people to pat me on the back because a completed dissertation is an achievement worthy of praise. But I also understood what our forefathers were trying to say at Westminster. They were telling us that every little or great thing that we achieve is done by God's grace 
Every little or great thing we do is done for God's glory. Whenever we receive appropriate applause, we should kill idolatry by actively remembering that everything we accomplish is because of God. It all beautifully and ultimately glorifies Him. That's why those pastors who are meeting in Westminster Abbey made this the number one statement in their confession of faith. There are some flaws, I think, with the Westminster Confession, but this is not one of them. This is brilliant. I'd like you to read it with me. Number one question. What is the chief and highest end? That's a, that's a fancy way to say the purpose. What's the purpose, the why question? What is the chief and highest purpose of man? The answer, everyone, man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And that kills idols. Number three, third thing that happens when we live out Soli Deo Gloria, we have a chance to get along with people. We do. Slide, slide down to verse uh, 17, 17 and 18 in Leviticus 19. I'm going to read this one from the New American Standard Translation. I think it is slightly superior on this part of the text. You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You, you may surely reprove your neighbor, but you shall not incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Close quote. God says you can disagree. You can even rebuke people, but you can't be disagreeable. Right? You mustn't sin. You can't bear a grudge. You can't take vengeance. Why? Because he is your covenant God. Now tell me, do you hear much of that in the world today, right now? Do you hear much of that? Yes or no? No, of course you don't. I don't either. You know why? Because so very few people, including us, so very few people practice glorifying God alone. And that's what matters. It doesn't matter how stupid other people are on social media. I don't care. I don't care how horrible other people's politics are. It doesn't matter how incendiary the latest crisis of the day is. If we would just practice soli deo gloria, we would be in a position to get along. One final word on, on the changes that occur when we practice soli deo gloria. It can take a long time. In fact, it can take a lot longer than our lifetimes for, for our example to impact anybody, even to be noticed. But that's okay, isn't it? Since it's not about us anyway. Isn't that all right? Those Japanese Christians were impacted 300 years after Bach wrote his music. And, and Bach's music itself had quite a journey. The great Johann Sebastian Bach, you know what he started out as? He started out as a church worship director. That's what he did. In fact, he served in a fairly backwater kind of community in a, in a little church. And this is a very gracious man. But you read his diaries, and he can't help but complain about how horrible his choir is. They're awful. I mean, they just they can't sing. They, they can, nobody can hold a note. Now, when he would be alone in his study with his harpsichord and his pianoforte, he wrote sublime music, amazing testimonies of Scripture that were just awesome, and nobody heard them. They didn't, nobody knew about them. They didn't really go anywhere. There was some small notoriety, but it wasn't really even known, and his choir couldn't sing this stuff when he did write it. However, one day, Johann Sebastian Bach received a request for music from a very important man, the Prussian Margrave Christian Ludwig, who lived with the king in Berlin. Uh, the Prussian king, the Brandenburg Prussians. 
So Bach, when he got this request for music, he took a bunch of beautiful music he'd written, church music he'd written, and he, and he slightly amended it and changed it, and he republished it as the Brandenburg Concertos. And he wrote these off by hand, and he sent them off to the Margrave, but this is going to make you cry. The music was too good. It was too complex even for the best musicians in the world who lived at the King's Court in Berlin. They could not play it. Most of the Brandenburg concertos never saw the light of day. They were never performed. Nobody could even take a stab at them. And when the Margrave died, all six Brandenburg concertos were sold for the equivalent of 25 of today's dollars. It was 100 years before a German music teacher named Siegfried Dane rediscovered the Brandenburg Concertos and finally published them in an age when they could be performed. Bach never saw any of it. Does that make you sad? I don't think it made him sad, do you? I don't think he cared. You know why? What did he write on all his music? S-D-G. Who is he doing all this for anyway? God. <laughs> and if he's doing it for God, then whatever God chooses to do with it is up to whom? Say it again. God. Raise your hand if you have ever received bad customer service. <laughs> Keep your hand up if it's because you're a bad customer. No, I'm kidding. That's okay. <laughs> Let's be honest. Bad customer service. I wonder if you've ever had uh, bad customer mediation uh, like Shane. Um, I don't know if this guy Shane is real, but I want to show you some pictures. These are notes that were supposedly written to Shane. Now, let me tell you, Shane works, if he's real, Shane works in a Walmart deli, okay? And there's a dry erase board in the back of the deli where the managers leave notes for the employees. These are some of the notes. i just give you some of them that have been written to Shane. Shane, quit offering extended warranties on the fried chicken. <laughs> Love that. I wonder if he got any sales. That's fantastic. Um, Shane, stop asking, is that your final answer? And offering to phone, let them phone a friend after each order. <laughs> Shane, quit putting price tags on the deli equipment and trying to sell them to customers. <laughs> Shane, stop implying Walmart keeps the good stuff in the back. <laughs> that. Shane, the deli is not an appropriate setting to practice your ventriloquism. Please stop making puppets out of the paper bags. Shane, I don't know what swinecraft is, but ham cannot be sold as a building material. <laughs> and then the last one, Shane, stop putting some assembly required stickers on the eight-piece chickens. <laughs> I, th I think Shane's hilarious. Um, but however funny, he is a bad mediator between the customer and the store, right? He is. In a similar way, Human beings are notorious for adding bad mediation between themselves and God. We already heard a hint of this in Bullinger's quote that we read earlier from the Second Helvetic Confession. But the Reformers wanted to be very sure that Christians understand the importance of properly relating to God through Jesus alone. That's why the Reformers very wisely emphasized the biblical doctrine of solus Christus. Uh, it's Latin again. It means for Christ alone, solus Christus, Christ alone. And yes, you get to say it again. On the count of three, solus Christus. One, two, three, solus Christus. Very good. Again, we're going to learn what it means from the second Helvetic confession. Uh, please don't be thrown by the, the old-fashioned sounding words. I wanted you to have time to think on them, so I put all this in your notes. Um, the mediation of Christ alone. We, 
in all dangers and casualties of life, call on Him alone, and that by the mediation of the only mediator and our intercessor, Jesus Christ. For it is expressly commanded us, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. That's from Psalm 50. Moreover, the Lord has made a most large promise. Don't you love that old English? A most large promise. Um, saying, this is from John 16, Whatsoever you shall ask of my Father, he shall give it to you. And again, Matthew 11, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And seeing it is written, How shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? Romans 10. And we do believe in God alone. Therefore, we call upon him only, and that through Christ. For there is one God, says the apostle, and one mediator between God and men, Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2. Again, 1 John 2. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Solus Christus. We relate to the triune God through Christ alone. This is so important. This is so life-changing that it had a profound impact on Johann Sebastian Bach. Uh, Bach, as far as I can tell, he never read the Second Helvetic Confession, but he read a Lutheran rewrite of this. It was a Lutheran recast of this, what you just read, and it so touched Johann Sebastian Bach as he began to see the truth of the Scripture that he sat down inspired and he wrote out a piece of music called Jesu, Joy of Man's Desiring. It's a beautiful piece of music. You've probably heard it a lot at weddings. I'm not quite sure how it worked its way into the wedding repertoire. Uh, what you probably never knew is the song is a hymn of praise to Jesus alone. It's a celebration of Christ alone. Solus Christus. Listen, Jesu, joy of man's desiring. Isn't that beautiful? It's almost as lovely as the doctrine that Jesus and only Jesus mediates a way for people to become part of God's family. Now, we're going to talk more about Solus Christus later in this year, but, but for today, let's spend, let's spend just a moment on why it's necessary. What, why is this necessary? If you are surely asking in your, uh, your favorite Owen Wilson voice, um, you're saying, oh, why do we even need to mention the mediation of Christ alone? Right? Uh, great question, Owen. Thank you. Here's, uh, here's why. Think about what the pre-Reformation church faced. They faced a world awash with, with icons, with relics, with superstitions, with prayers to Mary, prayers to saints. In a world in which the official church doctrine and the common culture believed humans need somebody else to intercede for them. Someone just beyond Jesus. He's not enough. This was needed. It, Think about how people were judged in those days. When the Reformers wrote this, do you know how people were judged? They were judged on what they wore. 
They were judged on how much money they made. They were judged on their social status. They, they were judged on how many cool relics they had. They were judged on their education. Everything except the only thing that mattered, whether or not that person had a relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank goodness we don't judge people like that anymore. Right? Let me return to our brother, Johann Bach, to illustrate why each generation has to keep working hard to reestablish solus Christus. Bach one time wrote a beautiful, beautiful piece of music. It's, it's a hymn. It's a hymn to Jesus as the sole mediator between God the Father and human beings. Lovely piece of music. But 137 years after he wrote it, a French composer named Charles, Goud, Charles Gounod, uh, he made some slight changes to Bach's score, and with the help of a guy named Hugel, he took the words of an old uh, Roman uh, hymn, an old Roman liturgy, and he applied it to the song. It was a liturgical prayer to Mary. And thus, Bach's beautiful hymn to Jesus was transformed into Ave Maria, a song that asks Mary to grant mediation and salvation because Jesus isn't enough. It's a lovely song, isn't it? Isn't it pretty? But every Christmas when you and I hear that song, we should be reminded that every single generation has to fight to go back and establish the truth of solus Christus. It is necessary because as wonderful as Mary is, she did not die for your sins. That takes us to our final question today. What changes? What changes when we understand and practice solus Christus? I see two, two awesome benefits I see. Number one, we learn to distinguish between wants and needs. Wants and needs. L let me illustrate. Is it good to want to be married? Yes or no? Matt, is that good? Yeah, sure it is. The Bible says so. It's a good thing. And Matt and I can testify, he with his sweetheart, I with mine, how wonderful it is to be married and to, and to grow and to fight and to be delighted together in Jesus Christ. It's an awesome thing to be one of the Lord. It's a great thing. Um, is it bad to want uh, success? Is it bad to want success? No. Of course, Scripture tells us to do our best to the Lord, to be excellent as part of how we glorify Him all the time. Is it, is it evil to want a justice in society? Yes or no? No, of course. Not according to the Old Testament prophets. It's not. They talk about justice all the time. It matters just like freedom and, and happiness and fruitfulness. Those are all fine things. Okay, but think of all those things and others like them. Is any of those things a true need? Yes or no? No. All I need is Jesus. He's more than enough. The Apostle Philip didn't know it at the time. It's obvious he didn't understand. But when he spoke to Jesus right before the crucifixion, what he said was spot on truth. Look, look what Philip said. He said, Lord, talking to Jesus, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. Philip was asking for mediation with God, something only Jesus can provide. And when you have a relationship with God through Jesus, it's all you need. It's more than enough. When I think on that, I tell you, Solus Christus reminds me how to distinguish between my wants and my only true need, which is met in Jesus. All God's people said? There's a second thing it does. Solus Christus helps me subtly guide others to look up to Jesus. Uh, that's why Bach continues to lead people to a relationship with God. When a person is focused on the triune God, it draws other people's attention to the Lord. Bob, you're not supposed to come up yet. Are you walking down here now? Okay, good. That was a plant, by the way. Can you give Bob a hand? That's a really hard thing to do. All right, I asked him to come forward. He is coming up in a moment. Why did I do that? I asked him to come forward because I wanted to illustrate this point. When I looked at him and interacted with him, what did all of you do? You looked at him too. 
right? You, you did. Don't lie. You looked right over there. You looked right at him. In the same way, when you are focused on Jesus alone and your attention is there, you know what other people do? They follow where you're looking. They look where you're looking. They focus on Jesus. They'll always look where you're looking. By the way, that's why I never let my attention get directed to whatever distractions are going on in the congregation. Your, your, your kid cries, your phone goes off. Whenever those things happen, I, I move the other way because I don't want anything to distract away from the primacy of the word of God. That's like solus Christus. When we stay focused, it helps other people focus on Jesus, the living word of God. All God's people said, amen. amen. Our vision this year, this is our vision for this year, is to be continually reformed to see God's grace reshaping us and reshaping our church and reforming our world. Here's what, happen. Here's what happens when God's grace reforms us and we, and we live out soli deo gloria. Number one, people come to faith in Jesus. Number two, idolatry is checked, especially the most significant idolatry in most of our lives, which is the idolatry of self. And thirdly, we have the chance to get along. An amazing thing in America today, we have the chance to get along when we focus on God's glory. And when we are reformed and we practice solus Christus, look what happens. We learn to distinguish between wants and our only true need. And we help other people look to Jesus too. Let's pray about that. Pray with me. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the incredible joy of getting to study the Bible and theological truth with my brothers and sisters. It is an awesome thing. But I want to pray right now for anybody Anybody who is studying with me this morning that does not know Jesus, Solus Christus is not their story. They have not trusted you. And that's their missing grace and glory. Friend, listen. Jesus is fully God and fully man. He came because you need him. I know that's offensive. Everybody tells you all the time how perfect you are. You're not. It's a fact and you know. It's a biblical fact and you know it in your life. And you're not the center of the universe. I know that's hard to hear because everything around you all the time tells you you're the most important thing. You're not. The glory of God is. And because the glory of God is most important, he is glorified when he loves you and he loves you. He loves you so much that he sent Jesus, the Son of God, to die for your sin. He died on a Roman cross and he rose from the dead so that if you would trust him, you could be in God's family forever. A child of God, bringing him glory and delighting in his love, you just need to trust. And you need to trust Jesus alone. There is no other mediation. Right now, just, just turn to God and say, I am in need of salvation. I am a sinner. It's true. And tell God, I trust in Jesus. I believe in him and him alone for my salvation. If you just prayed to trust Jesus, act on it. Raise your hand right now. Look up at me. I want to rejoice with you. Look at me. Thank you. Good. Praise God. That's awesome. Father, I want to pray as well for all these people here, and there are so many who are believers in Christ already as they walk in today. And I pray that you will bless me and you will bless them, that through us people will come to faith in Jesus. They will look to Jesus. I beg you that our idolatry will be checked. It is rampant in our lives. Lord, I pray that we can get along. We can, we can have grace for each other because we focus on your grace for us. 
And maybe most significantly, Lord, at least, for, at least for my life, I pray that we can continue to remember the difference between wants and our only true need. I pray that in all these things we glorify you. In, in the offering we're about to take, in, in, in the games we're going to watch this afternoon, in the meals we'll have, in the conversations we have, in the discipline we give our children, in the work we do, in the planes we get on, whatever we do for the rest of today and for the days to come, may we glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.